I am a part of the teaching team here. And while we're in the process of looking for a new pastor, trusting the Lord to bring somebody in his timing, uh, we have a team of people that are committed to preaching the word every Sunday uh, to continue growing and moving towards the Lord together. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of that team. Uh, it has been a joy for me. And, uh, and I'm really excited because today we're going to start a new series here at Discovery. And uh, maybe uh, you're new here. Maybe Easter was your first time. Welcome. Glad that you're here. So how we usually do things is we take about eight to ten weeks and we'll go through one series. Okay, so for the next probably two months, two and a half months, we're going to be going back to the same theme over and over again. And we're really trusting the Lord to meet us in that theme, to, to speak to us, to really transform this church and transform us. And the series that we're starting today is Confident. Before I go too far, if you do need a Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at some different verses this morning. Would you please just throw up your hand? We have a few guys that are just going to kind of pass out Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, please take this one home, write all over it, get it well used. This is for you. All right. So over the uh, next several weeks, we're going to look at confidence. And what does it mean for us as Christians, the church, discovery, what would it look like for us to live with confidence? And... Particularly this morning's talk I've called Overflowing Confidence, which I hope will become more clear as the morning goes on. I think most of us know what confidence feels like. I don't, I don't think I have to work too hard to define it. Uh, if you're a student, you know what it feels like to walk into a test confidently. Not that you've ever done that, but you, <laughs> you know what it's like, in theory. Or maybe a presentation at work, you know you're going to nail it. Right? This is in your wheelhouse. This is, this is your gifting. Or maybe you play sports or you, you watch sports and you have confidence that your team is going to win. So I'm married to a Chicago Cubs fan and uh, their confidence never fails. Uh, they're calm. Every year, every year for like literally the last 105 years, they thought they were going to win. Finally it happened. They think they're going to win this year too. I don't... I don't know where it comes from. You guys also know what it's like to not have confidence. Right? You, you do know what it's like to walk into the test and, and you're pretty sure you're going to fail. Uh, you know what it's like to walk into a final and pray that the test is curved. I studied mathematics in college. Nobody ever applauds that one. <laughs> thank you guys, thank you. Uh, so I studied math in college, and my senior year, I participated in a competition, a math competition. It's as nerdy as it sounds. And I took a six-hour math test. There were 12 problems on this math test. Yeah, half hour per problem, approximately. Uh, a couple thousand people throughout the country take this test. It's called the Putnam test. The median score... So this is the, the score that most people get. Over 50% of people get zero points on this test. So most people like, spend six hours as a complete waste and get zero points. And I remember going into this test, and like they said, go, and I open up the booklet, and I look through problem one, and I skip it, and I go to problem two, and I skip it. And, go, and I went through all 12 problems, and I was like, well, it's going to be a long six hours. Uh, I, I did, in case you're wondering, like, I got eight points on the test. 
thank you, thank you. It was, it was out of 120, so <laughs> I don't know if you should cheer too much for it. But, but we, we know what it's like to have confidence, and we know what it's like to lack confidence. And there's areas of our life, maybe, maybe you're a parent, and maybe there's days when, man, you think you're the best parent in the world, right? My child is lucky to have me as a dad. And then there's probably a lot of days where like, what am I doing? I'm going to ruin my kid. He's going to need therapy because of me. What about our relationship with God? And when, when you think about as a Christian, or maybe not as a Christian, how you relate to God. Do you, do you have confidence? Do you feel assured and strong when you enter into time with God, or when you sit down to pray, or when you open your Bible? Or, maybe like me some mornings, uh, you feel guilty and afraid, and you have doubts. Maybe if your, your neighbor asks you, hey, you go to church, what is it that you believe? Do you feel like you could confidently share with a friend or a neighbor, this is who I am, this is what it means to be Christian? Or are you afraid that maybe you don't know enough? That maybe God could use somebody else, but he probably couldn't use you. How do you think God feels about you? Maybe we know that he loves us, right? Because the, the Bible tells us so. Maybe on paper we know that God loves us. But maybe there's a nagging doubt that maybe your sin is just a little bit too much. Maybe God likes you on paper, but in practice, he doesn't really like you all that much. My guess is that all of us on some level lack confidence when it comes to our relationship with God. And we just finished a series in Ephesians a couple weeks ago, and we saw some amazing things there. We saw the greatness of God and we saw what does it look like for us to walk as Christians, to stand firm as Christians. And in chapter 3 of Ephesians, we saw this verse. Really interesting. It talks about the church, and in, starting in verse 10 of chapter 3, it says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to this, verse 12. In whom we have boldness, and access with confidence through our faith in him. So the reason we're doing this, this series at Discovery over the next eight weeks is we want to recover this. We want to take the truth that we know about God and we want to see it transform our lives so that we become those who walk with confidence towards God and towards others. And I think we're going to see that Really, Christian confidence, when it's rightly understood, I think it transforms everything. Before I go any further, I'm going to pray. And then if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So I'll pray, and then we'll read. God, we do want to be a church that believes the Scriptures, that trusts the Scriptures, that lives out the Scriptures. God, we want to be those who walk with confidence because you have said that we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. So God, I pray this morning, would you open our eyes that we might see truth from the scriptures? Would you transform our hearts? Would you transform our minds? Lord, would you speak through me? Would you cause us to see you? 
Lord, would you remove any barriers that would keep us from approaching you with confidence? And Lord, would you give us this morning a confidence that overflows? God, we trust you and we look to you to do this. We love you, God. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to be starting in verse 14. You can also look it up on the app that you just downloaded, because I know JR's little announcement there, that was, that was convincing. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us, to, to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So hopefully, uh, I'll be able to show you guys this morning that this passage teaches us how we can be confident. Now, you'll notice that the word confidence isn't actually used. Again, bear with me. I think it will become clear. And three things that I think we see in this passage. First is the power of our confidence. So how, how does confidence change the way we interact with God and others? Second thing we'll see is the enemy of our confidence. So what it is that keeps us from experiencing confidence. And then we'll also see the source of our confidence. How it is that we can actually experience confidence. First, we're going to look at the power. The power of our confidence. So what does it look like? How does it uh, live itself out? How does it play out in our life? Verses 14 through 19. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Skipping ahead to 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So because of Jesus' death, because of his resurrection from the dead, we are reconciled to God. So to reconcile means to take two things that are separate and to bring them back together. And I was reading a news article, gosh, two, three weeks ago, that I think really gives a, a sobering picture of what reconciliation can look like. Uh, so in 1950, at the beginning of the Korean War, uh, you guys are probably aware that you know, North and South Korea were split along the 38th parallel. 
Now, what you might not realize is that when the border was closed, there were literally families separated on either side. There were husbands and wives, one in North Korea, one in South Korea. There were brothers and sisters. There were sons and parents, daughters and parents that were literally separated. Uh, there are, are families that to this day, 67 years later, still have not seen each other. And many of them have absolutely no news of, of their family. And over the last 50, 60 years, there's been sporadic reunions allowed by the government. They're, they're heavily censored. They're heavily guarded. But I read an, an article uh, a couple weeks ago about a man from North Korea who was allowed to see his children in South Korea and his wife. Uh, his children had to tell their father that the wife had passed away 10 years ago. The, the husband had no idea because he had had no news. And there's these beautiful pictures of, of a father being reuni reunited with his children after 67 years. Uh, and, and they have three days together. And they get to talk and, and they get to share and they get to catch up and just be with each other. I think, man, as incomplete as that is, what a picture of reconciliation. Right? Of families that were separated by, by circumstances outside of their control being brought back together. And for that brief moment, all as, is, as it should be. I think we, we see this as well in Scripture. In Luke 15, we see the story of the prodigal son. And briefly, if you, if you don't know the story, uh, the younger son asks for his inheritance early, which was very disgraceful, and he goes and, and he squanders it. He, he walks away from the family, he squanders it in wild living, uh, and he ends up penniless, broke, desperate for a job, desperate for money, desperate for food. And he goes back to his father, and he begs and he pleads with his father says, Dad, I messed up. I, I just need food. I just need a job. Right, would you just tr treat me like one of your servants? And you guys know what happens. If you've read this story. When the father sees the son far away, he runs and he embraces his son. He holds him close. He gives him gifts. He kills a cow. They, they celebrate. They have a feast. And the dad says, my son was dead and now he's alive. I've been reconciled to my son. I thought he was gone. And now here we are together again as father and son. Okay, so when Paul says that we've been reconciled to God, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a father who is reconciled to his son, to his daughter. It means that God embraces us and holds us close. Our return is celebrated by the father. We were dead and now we're alive. And because of this, guys, we have confidence before God. We have the confidence of a child who doesn't know any better and goes and asks his dad for whatever he wants. I don't know why I was thinking about this. Actually, no, I do. I was talking to somebody about this last week. Uh, and the question came up, like, what would it be like to ask Bill Gates for money? Okay. Uh, Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, billionaire many times over. It's weird, even though like, he has a lot of money, the thought of asking him for money, of like sitting in an office with him and proposing something to him, that just sounds really, really intimidating to me. Um, but if you're Bill Gates' son, right, which he has a son and two daughters, uh, I had to look it up, 
He, he might still say no, but can you imagine how much easier it would be to ask for money? Because you're not talking to Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, one of the richest and most influential men in the whole world. You're talking to dad. As Christians, we're reconciled to God and our confidence radically alters the way we view him. He goes from a judge who is aloof, powerful but unknown, to a father who's loving and gentle and cares for us. And I think this is important, guys. If, if our view of God changes, if we begin to approach him and interact with him with confidence, it will begin to overflow to every other part of our life. The power of our confidence will also change the way that we view ourselves. Look at verses 16 17. Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So for we who are in Christ, who have put our faith in him, the Bible says that we are a new creation. And we talked about this a lot in Ephesians, but I think, it, I think it'd be good to revisit briefly. This is really important. Guys, look at, from Ephesians. I just pulled up a few examples of this is what is true of us who are in Christ. We were dead because of our sins, and God made us alive. We were far from God, separated from him, and now we've been brought near to him. We were aliens and strangers. We had no place in his presence but now we've been made members of God's household. We were darkness and now we've been made light. Can you see how believing that would give us confidence? If I actually believed that I wasn't far from God, but I was near him, that I wasn't an outcast or a stranger or a reject or just a, a broken sinner, but I was a friend, I was welcomed, if I believed that I wasn't just destined for darkness and sin, but that I was destined for light and life, guys, that would change everything. Now, I think it's important to recognize that for those of us who are in Christ, this is true of us. This isn't a, a subjective reality, but an objective truth. This is who God sees us as. The old has passed away, the new has come. This Christian confidence also changes the way that we view others. Verse 14 says that the love of Christ controls us. And then in verse 19, 20, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Pretty interesting. Right? And now notice this isn't just for pastors or for missionaries or for full-time ministry people. This is true of all, all Christians, that we are ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal to the world through us. Now, an ambassador does not represent themselves, but another. And, and if I'm an ambassador, then I no longer am concerned with what people think about me. I'm concerned with what they think of the one I represent, God. My God wants to reconcile the world to himself and he wants to use me so I can move confidently towards people 
Because my confidence doesn't come from what other people say of me or what other people think of me, but God, the Father who sent me. This is why Paul can say in Romans 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So Paul can say, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know God and God sent me to declare this message. It's when we take our eyes off of that and we begin to think about what other people think, that's when we start losing confidence. That's when we become ashamed of who we are. So because the, the power of our confidence is that it changes the way we view God, the way we view ourselves, the way we view others. But we often don't experience this. Why, why is that? Why don't we live and walk with this on a normal basis? It's because uh, the enemy of our confidence, verse 19, he hints at it. He says, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, the enemy of our confidence, the thing that keeps us from walking in strength and assurance is the guilt, shame, and condemnation that comes from our trespasses, from our sin. And too often as Christians, even though God is not counting our trespasses against us, too often we, we look for confidence on our own worth, our own merits, or our own performance. Our confidence is based on how much we've sinned or not sinned that week. On how consistent we've been in reading our Bible. Or maybe it's on our church attendance or our discovery group attendance. And when this happens, our confidence waxes and wanes like the weather. Because some days we think we're okay. But when I mess up, which is often, my confidence begins to falter. Because the problem is, is that we're never good enough. Right? We can never maintain a level of achievement or accomplishment that, that matches our confidence. So instead, we experience doubts and insecurities. And we ask questions like, does God really love me? Am I really forgiven? Does God really want to use me for good? Am I even a Christian? There's good news and uh, that the Christian's confidence is not an internal confidence, but it's external. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. See, confidence can come from one of two places. It can either be internal, meaning it's based upon my skills, my ability, my knowledge. Or it can come from a source outside of myself. So I, I was talking to my wife last night and I asked her, I'm just, I was just curious and I've been thinking about confidence all week. And so I asked her, Carly, when was the last time that you felt really confident? And her answer was hilarious. So she said, uh, well, two weeks ago, that she brought brownies to work. And she works as a nurse at the UC Davis Med Center. And she brought brownies to work. And she said, I was confident that people were going to like them. And I said, well, like, why were you confident? Like, how, how did you know that people were going to like them? And she kind of looked at me like I was dumb a little bit. And uh, she said, well, they had Nutella in them. Like, they were really good brownies. <laughs> Obviously, Kevin. Uh, now, whenever she makes brownies, and I actually very distinctly remember these brownies. I think uh, Tom remembers these brownies as well. They were amazing. They, they were really good. Whenever she makes brownies, I'm always confident that I'm going to like them. Okay? Uh, I, I just know. 
it's, it's a given that I'm gonna enjoy the brownies. And her confidence, notice the difference here, her confidence is internal. Okay, so her confidence is based upon her ability, her skill, her experience as a baker. She loves to bake, she reads baking blogs, she has baking books, she practices. So she knows the brownies are gonna be good because she's made a lot of really good brownies. My confidence in her brownies is not an internal thing. I'm not a brownie connoisseur, right? I don't study like, what makes a good brownie and a bad brownie. My confidence is in her and in her ability and in her skill to bake brownies. Hers is internal, mine is external. Now the point here, why I think this is important, the Bible teaches us that because of our sin, we have no internal confidence before God. We have no internal confidence before God. Even as Christians, even once we put our faith in Christ, we have nothing to offer God. We can't point to anything in our life and say, God, because I did X or Y or Z, you have to treat me well this week. You have to bless me this week. You have to give me an A on that test. It doesn't work that way. Romans 3.23 says that all, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Because of that, we have no confidence before God in our own ability. And we need, if we are to be confident before God, we need an external source. We need that confidence to come from somewhere other than ourselves. Which leads me to the last point, the source of our confidence. Verse 21. Guys, this is possibly one of the most important verses I'd say in the entire Bible, verse 21 says, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Sometimes referred to as the great exchange. I think it's one of the most simple and clear pictures of the gospel. That our sin is put on Jesus who had no sin and his perfection, his righteousness, his obedience is put on us who had none of that. And so what happens, when, when this happens, the enemy of our confidence, the internal reality of our sin, it's been dealt with. It's been paid for. It's been covered. We no longer have to worry about measuring up to some standard. Because our confidence doesn't come from ourselves, but from Christ. We've heard this a lot. And we're going to hear it a lot more because it's important. We heard it in Ephesians, in chapter 2, when James shared. Verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our salvation is not the result of our effort. That would be an internal confidence. Instead, it's the gift of God. I was talking to GR about this, and, and he sent me this quote from Tim Keller, which I think so beautifully sums up what we're talking about here. Tim Keller, pastor out in New York, says, The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me. Yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. 
I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I don't think more of myself, nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. Again, we've heard this before, right? This is the gospel message. This is what we hear every Sunday. This is what we read every time we read scripture. We read about the gospel. You might be thinking, like, yeah, I know that. I knew that was coming, Kevin. That wasn't surprising. And yet, right, when we look back on our week, how often do we lack confidence? If, if we believe the gospel, right, then why don't we have confidence? The answer is simple. It's because we forget. Because <laughs> we're forgetful. Because we fall back into the habit of trusting in our own efforts. Even as Christians, we do this. Especially as Christians, we do this. So, which leads to this last point here, that the Christian's confidence, it's not an event, but a habit. So the gospel was, at its core, yes, an event. When Jesus came, lived, died, and rose from the dead. But the implications of the gospel, the fullness of the gospel, is a habit that we go back to again and again and again and again. The gospel is not the 101 class that you graduate from. It is the entire degree that you're earning as a Christian. And we have to remind ourselves of this often, daily, if not hourly. We have to remind ourselves that God loves me, not because I did good today, but because Christ died for me 2,000 years ago. Which leads us to an application. In verse 15, it says that he, Christ, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When the gospel becomes a habit, when we begin to approach God with confidence, everything changes. We don't think of ourselves more highly, or we don't think less of ourselves, like Keller said. Instead, we think of ourselves less. We begin to shift our focus from ourselves to God. We begin to live for him and not ourselves. So uh, what might this look like for you this week? Okay. I, I'm a huge fan of, of making things practical. So if this is true, which I believe it is, if in fact our confidence is not based on anything we've done, but upon what Christ has already done, how would that change your life this week? Well, maybe, I'm just going to throw out some suggestions. Maybe uh, you'd be more likely to make time this week to read your Bible or to pray. And you wouldn't go into the time feeling guilty, thinking, man, I, I really should be doing this more. Or I don't really know how to pray. Or I really don't know what to pray for. But instead, we can go into it confidently, knowing that God, the Father, has already been reconciled to us, his children. Maybe there's, there's a sin in your life that's been really besetting you, that, that's been plaguing you. And you'd say no this week to it. Because you're confident that you're a new creation. That's the old has passed away. That's not you anymore. Maybe you would pursue that conversation with your friend or your coworker, or your neighbor about church, about Christ. 
because you're confident that I'm an ambassador and my God wants to reconcile all people to himself. Let this confidence change your life today and this week. And I want, I want to end by just telling you guys a little bit more about what's coming up in this series. So again, we're going to be talking about this for eight weeks. And we're going to be digging into how our lives look differently when we begin to grasp this. When this begins to take root, what will happen? So we're going to see that confidence, the confidence that we have in Christ, it leads to freedom. It leads to joy and hope. Words that for many of us might seem foreign. That confidence actually inspires us and, and, and motivates us to pray. And that as we begin to experience these things, freedom, joy, hope, as we begin to pray, we actually will be transformed into people who are eager to serve, eager to give, eager to pursue gospel-centered community. Because this confidence has the ability not just to transform our lives, but our families, our communities, our city. Jesus said that we are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. That's what this place should be. And that's what this place can become as we begin to grasp just how much God has done for us. And I'm confident, pun intended, that God will not only change Davis, but the world through Davis. Let me pray. God, even this morning, as I, as I got up here to speak, I found myself worried about my, my lack of ability or my lack of skill or lack of preparation. God, I found myself looking for confidence in, in internal factors. Lord, thank you for reminding us this morning that our hope, our confidence, our joy, our peace comes not from us and what we've done, but from you and what you've already done. God, I, I would love for that to transform me today. I would love for that to transform my family and my community and my friends. I'd love for it to transform this church. God, I pray that you would give us a confidence that overflows into every area of our life. That we would not think more of ourselves or less of ourselves, but Lord, we would be able, by your great power, to think of ourselves less and to think of others more and to think of you more. God, would you raise up from this church many ambassadors who go to their neighbors, to their families, to their friends. God, would you transform Davis and would you transform the world? Thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to enter into our time of response.